0: Hello, my name is Cole. I'm a Christian and I've been on the verge of suicide. Now, to some, when you hear that, that might sound paradoxical. It may sound wrong. A Christian on the verge of suicide, how can that happen? Well, let's talk. My name is Cole. I'm 23 years old and I've struggled with general depression and anxiety for around seven years now. I am a Christian. I place my hope in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But depression is real. Anxiety is real. And we live in a world where these things exist, and even Christians can get depressed and face anxiety. So that's why I'm doing this. That's why I'm doing a podcast. I don't know why I chose today, but I'm really feeling it. The fall is usually a hard time for me. But don't we talk about mental health enough? Don't we have enough out there? Well, I fear that in the Christian community, many people are suffering in silence. I've been the person to sit in the pew and feel alone in my depression and anxiety. And if we're frankly honest, the church just doesn't talk about this enough, or at least there isn't a, a good biblical worldview for those who suffer for depression and anxiety and mental health in general. Also, coronavirus pandemic, we're coming off 18 months of that. From quarantine. The effects that this has had on mental health around the world is astronomical and it's time to talk about it. As a Christian, it's time to talk about mental health. It's time to share my story. My hope is that by doing this podcast, uh, you can find hope in Jesus Christ. And if you're not a Christian and you're listening to this, please continue listening. My hope is that Uh, By the end of these podcasts, you will place your hope in Jesus Christ because He is the only lasting hope for those who suffer with depression and anxiety. He is the only answer and comfort in the hardest times. Without Him, there is no hope. So that's why I'm doing it. This podcast will be called Through the Valley, and we will go through various topics of mental health, depression, anxiety, everything in between. And I'm going to be sharing my story as we go throughout Some episodes will be different, topical, story-related, biblical, you name it. So we're going to start in today's episode with my story, the very beginnings of my story, my journey with mental health. So if you're feeling down, depressed, blue, uh, anxious, all I want you to know today is that there's someone out there too who has felt what you're going through. And as a Christian, I have felt the deepest, darkest pits of despair and seasons of that. I'm here to tell you it hasn't gone away for me. In fact, every fall, usually it comes back. This is what's known as seasonal affective disorder. The fall is a hard season for me. And by telling my story and by doing this podcast, my hope is that we can open the conversation about depression and anxiety in the church and really in culture today. And all in all, I just want to be a companion to you in your dark seasons of life. So today's episode of Through the Valley is called Hello, I'm a Christian, and I've been on the verge of suicide. Let's get into it. All right, we're back. Welcome to Through the Valley. This is Cole, your host, and uh, that music it's a song I'm writing called Through the Valley. So it's just the instrumental track. Uh, it's still in production, so over the course of these podcasts, you may hear it get better, at least. <laughs> Maybe words will be in it too. But I love to write music as well, and music is a big way that I cope through hard seasons of life. and that was a song I wrote. I'll talk about it today uh, in my story. So with every episode of Through the Valley, I want to start with Scripture reading. There's no other place to go than God's Word when we're talking about these things. God's Word is our lasting hope, and I truly believe that, and if I didn't start here, nothing else would matter after this. So, I want to start with Psalm 88. I will call Psalm 88 the darkest chapter in the Bible, and there's a reason I call it that. Usually, the Psalms are raw, yet they end on a note of hope, but Psalm 88 is the only psalm that ends just in darkness. And in my depression, it has been a psalm of comfort in a really weird way because it describes often how I feel. So I want to read it as we open this episode. Psalm 88 says this, O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry, for my soul is full of troubles, and my life draws near to Sheol, or death. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength, like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. Selah. You have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. I'm shut in so I cannot escape. My eye grows dim through sorrow. Every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you? Selah. Is your steadfast love declared in the grave, or your faithfulness in Abaddon? Are your wonders known in the darkness or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? But I, O Lord, cry to you. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Afflicted and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your terrors. I am helpless. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. Have you ever felt like this? Did you resonate with any of those words in that psalm? I love this psalm because it's so raw. It tells us about the darkness that we face in life. And we don't know the specific situation that the psalmist was going through, but we know that he was in a very dark place and probably for a very long season. And I don't know, I don't want to read too much into the Bible, but I believe as humanity, we face the same feelings or at least the same emotions or moods. And I can't help but think that this is something similar to what we would call depression today. In our modern sense of the word, we have a clinical diagnosis for it, but the Bible's honest and raw, and I can't help but think that this is at least something similar to what a depressed state would be like. His friends have shunned him. The darkness is his closest friend. He feels like he's near death. He's gone down to the pit. He wonders where God is. He wonders if God has forsaken him. He says that God's wrath lies heavily on him. I don't know about you, but I relate to this. I relate to this a lot in my seasons of depression, and usually when I can't find words to explain the groanings inside of me, In my depressed states, this psalm has been such a help. So I pray that it will be the same for you. So let's get into it. I just want to share a little bit from my story, and this can span over many episodes, but I wanted to start with the very beginnings of my journey with depression. First, depression. Anxiety came later in my life, but I've struggled with what I would call general depression or even chronic depression, for almost seven years now, and it began in the year of 2014. Now, growing up, I, I I look back and I see the warning signs of what could be depression and anxiety in my life. I've always had a shy, timid, introspective, self-conscious temperament, and I believe that causes a lot to do with the way we process things as we grow older and how we deal with our emotions. But really, what I would categorize as depression didn't really strike me until the year 2014. 2014 was, a, at the beginning, a great year for me. I went on a three-day weekend retreat. I was just about to turn 16, and this retreat was where I gave my life to Christ. and The story of the prodigal son of coming home from my sin, my shame, coming to the Father only through Christ's work on my behalf, by grace alone, through faith. Those truths gripped my heart that weekend. And coming off that weekend, I was on what we call a spiritual high, right? Got home from camp. I wanted to do everything I could for Jesus. I wanted to spread him in my school, just tell the good news of the gospel, of what he had done. I felt empowered. And at that time, I began also to discern a call to ministry. I wanted to teach others about the word of God. I knew that This is what I wanted to do for the rest of my life, but it didn't last long, and it wasn't long into that winter, into that spring that I began to face what I would call mood swings, just fluctuations in my mood. I would get down for long periods of time during the day. I would be seemingly fine one second, and then I don't know what it was. The weather, something would happen, and I would get just Down and blue and deflated is a good word to describe it. Like something was weighing on my chest. And I didn't have words for this at the time. But I would call that depression. Now, for prolonged periods of time, I would feel down, blue. I wouldn't have motivation. My energy would be lacking. And it would last for hours at a time. And it would be recurring for days. I would call that depression. This is what we would call clinical depression. But I didn't know what to think about it in the spring, especially coming off of that high where I felt reconnected to Christ. This was confusing for me. It was confusing for my faith. I remember reading in my journals from this time, I would question God. God, why am I feeling this way? I'm supposed to be joyful and on fire for you, Lord. I don't want to feel this way. I don't want to feel down. And just sad. Lord, am I doing something wrong? Give me faith. And it began a cycle, at least in my life, where I began to think that these feelings were something wrong with me and my faith, my spiritual walk. So I began to place this pressure on myself to have more faith, to try harder, to think I, I had to do something more to procure this feeling of joy in my life. So I remember just one stark example of these mood swings. I was sitting, eating frozen yogurt with a friend one day. It was spring. It felt amazing outside. Um, I always loved the springtime and just the change of the weather. But I was just sitting there, and all of a sudden, a wave of depression just hit me out of the blue. And I I just got sad. We were having a good talk. We were having a good time. But I just got sad. And I remember blurting out, I don't know why but I'm feeling really sad right now. And for me, that was kind of the first moment where I realized, hmm, something's different. Something is affecting me and weighing me down that I don't feel was a part of myself. And I really didn't. I didn't feel like it was part of me, yet it was affecting my life. So over the summer, these moods kept happening and I try my best to brush them off. But when the fall came, this was my junior year of high school. And in high school, the junior year is usually the toughest. You know, I was taking advanced placement courses. I was in a lot of clubs. I was active in the Boy Scouts. So I was really busy. And on top of school and then the change of the weather with the fall, as I mentioned earlier, that's tough for me. And just with the, the current moods that I had been facing, I began to go through a really dark season of depression. And when I say dark, I mean that I didn't want to get out of bed. I had no energy. I wanted to sleep in all the time when I got home from school. All I wanted to do was sleep. I had no energy. And I remember one night going to youth group. I was really active in youth during this time. And I was driving home. And you know in the fall, it gets dark earlier. And it was already dark at around 8. And I just remember feeling so just guilty and ashamed. God, why am I feeling this way? God, why am I struggling with this depression? God, I want to do great things for you. I want to live for you, but I can't feel good. I feel just weary and tired and alone and ashamed of how I'm feeling and guilty. God, and I just don't know what the purpose of my life here is, and I was driving home from youth, and I lived in a country rural part of North Carolina, and it was long roads at night, and I just remember thinking, just a flash through my head, what if you just drove off the side of the road? Have you ever had a scary thought like that? Most people do. Most people have weird thoughts like that, but for me, it was in the midst of one of my depressed moods. So I had that thought, and it scared the mess out of me. Why would I want to do that to myself? But then I started thinking, the voices just kept piling on me. What if you weren't here? Wouldn't it be so much better to just end it and, so that you wouldn't have to feel this way? And it was at that moment when I realized something is really, really wrong. And those thoughts, they scared the mess out of me. I just got done with youth group. I was driving home at night, and I realized that I needed to do something about this because my life was in danger, in a sense, in real danger from myself because I was thinking of ending my life. I was thinking that I shouldn't be here anymore because I don't have any point, meaning in living, and that's what depression does. It sucks the meaning of life out of you. It takes it away. It makes everything seem dark, just cloudy and weighty. And it just seems like there's no point to life. And that's where I was at. I was like, what am I doing in school? What am I doing with all this stress? I'm tired all the time. It just felt bleak with the short days. And that was the first time that I thought about suicide, in a sense. Many people don't open up about their thoughts about suicide. And this is dangerous because we often wonder after the fact, how could that happen? He was such a good kid. She was such a a good person, but them? Why them? It's often because we suffer in silence. Those of us who face these thoughts and these depressive moods, we feel as if we can't share this with anybody because we feel ashamed. We feel guilty. But I encourage you, if you have felt these thoughts, if you have felt this weight that is driving you to such thoughts, please, please, please reach out to somebody. Because people do care about you. People do love you. And God sees you. God created you. He values life. So please don't take your life into your own hands. He created you. He's the author of life. So anyways, to get back to my story, I was leaving youth group that night, and I got home, and I was terrified. I was terrified of my thoughts and My mom has always been an anchor for me emotionally, and so I got home, and I just told her, like, Mom, I'm having these thoughts about hurting myself, about harming myself. I feel depressed and blue. Mom, we need to do something about this. I need help. I can't do this on my own. And so she told me that night that we would go to a doctor the next day to get help. So the next day comes, Monday, October 6th. I go to school. I feel depressed and blue, and I know when I get home, okay, we're going to the doctor. So I get home, and once my dad gets off work, we head to the emergency room. So we're going to the emergency room, and we go in, and I sit down. And this is one of the weirdest experiences of my life. I'm not even kidding. I still remember it so vividly. So the nurse comes in, you know, does all the normal things, blood pressure, heartbeat, you name it. And then after the nurse walks out, they roll in this screen, it's a screen on wheels, and they roll it in, and it's literally a teledoctor. Now, in 2021, that doesn't seem so weird, especially with COVID now with telemedicine, but back in 2014, as a 16-year-old, this was the first time I'd ever seen a screen doctor, and I always laugh about this now, but... I told a screen doctor, this man I didn't even know, he could have been in California or something. I I had to tell him about my depression and suicidal thoughts. He began to ask me, how long have you felt this way? What is it feeling like? And when did you first have suicidal thoughts? I told him that yesterday I was having them and they scared me. So I told my mom and that's why I'm here. And so after those questions, he said, okay, we're going to evaluate you and we'll come back in with a diagnosis and what we think we need to do for you for treatment so I'm like okay so it goes out and you know I thought that I was just gonna get medicine or something or be prescribed to a counselor so they come back in and I'm feeling a bit nervous at this point because it had been a while I'm tired I'm ready to go home had assignments to do and I remember sitting there And the doctor, he stops and says, all right, Cole, based on your condition and what you told us, it feels best that we send you to a behavior hospital for treatment for your depression and suicidal thoughts. And that hit me just like a punch in the gut. Like, I'm going to a behavior hospital? What event is that? All I could think about in the moment was, I know it sounds terrible, but people in jackets, you know, the asylums, the crazy stuff that you see on those movies, and I just felt so defeated in that moment. Everything in me just dropped, and it felt like my world was just spinning. A behavior hospital? I'm going to be placed there. I'm going to be ripped apart from my family, from my church, my school. Everything was just starting to crumble, and I, I remember just looking at my parents, like with with this helpless look, like, please do something. Like, can't they do something as a as as my parents? But I knew they couldn't because they brought me here and this was what the doctors felt was best for me. So I don't remember all the details that ensued from this, but I do remember walking out of the hospital where this I would say a police-like van awaited me. It had a cage splitting the driver from the back um, I know it's really sad, but to me, I felt like a dog just trapped in a cage. Right, they're just taking me off to the pound. But really, I just—it was raining outside too, so it was not a good day. I remember just going, looking out the window, like just thinking, "God, what is my life coming to? What has happened?" Ten months ago, I felt on fire for you. I felt able to just do anything with my faith, and now I'm depressed and defeated and going to a behavior hospital, I'm like, man, what kind of Christian am I, right? Like, Christians shouldn't face these things, right? Christians should be overcomers of the world, you know, and all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us, for I'm convinced that neither death nor life and anything else will be able to separate me from Christ Jesus my Lord, right? Rejoice always, Paul says, but I felt so defeated. What did my life come to? So we got to the behavior hospital. My parents were with me. We enter into the door, and just like a normal doctor's office, there's a door that goes back into the unit, and the ward. So there, I had to say goodbye to my parents, and I wouldn't see them until that Friday. They would come and visit for lunch during the week, but I wouldn't get to go home until that Friday. So I do the normal check-in procedures, and I have to take all my clothes off and hand them to the nurse that was there and have to put on the hospital gown and do all these tests, you know, just the normal hospital check-in procedures. But I wouldn't get any of my clothes until I think the day after because they had to check if there were strings in the, the shorts. Like I couldn't wear strings in my shorts or anything on my shirts that would be used for harm, which is crazy to think about. So they gave me after 24 hours, a bag of clothes that I could wear, and then my Bible and a few books because that's what I asked my mom to bring. And so that first night, I just get into that room, and luckily I didn't have a roommate. Usually they put someone with a roommate, so i was so glad I didn't have a roommate because I did not want to deal with that at this moment. So I get into the room, and I don't know how late it is at this point. It's probably 10, but it felt it felt like I'd been there for an eternity already. So I just lay my head down on the pillow, and I just remember thinking, screaming in my head, God, why is this happening to me? God, what are you doing with my life? Why why did you allow this? And for the first time in probably months, I felt a strong sense of emotion. (laughs) Depression can just suck every emotion out of you. And for the first time, I just felt angry. I felt mad at God. Lord, what are you doing? So during that night, I tried my best to go to sleep, but the nurses would literally have to check in on you like every hour. So I'd hear the footsteps coming down the door. I'd see the light from the door open, and I would hear somebody come in. They had to check my vitals a few times during the night. I mean, in all sense of the word, it was a hospital, but it it felt like a prison because everything was caged in, like the fences out in the courtyard. It just felt like a prison because, you know, they don't want anybody getting out. They don't want anybody hurting themselves. There are people in there who are really on the verge of planning and acting out and not just with depression but all sorts of behavioral diseases and conditions. So it's really sad. I met a lot of kids in there who it just broke my heart to see what they were going through, situations they came from with their family. It really opened my eyes to the suffering in the world. So I was in the behavior hospital for a week, and I won't bore you with all the details of my stay unless you all want to hear more about it in future episodes. The only thing I will say is they had a sock system, and the first 24 hours, everybody gets beige grippy socks because, you know, you're a new patient. They're testing you out, but if you're good, like if your behavior is good, you get green grippy socks after 24 hours, but if you're kind of on a watch list, you get red grippy socks, and so I figured that system out probably the second day, and it it was unique. It was kind of funny, but at the same time it's not because that was how they checked in on people who were really doing bad. But I had green grippy socks the whole time, just in case you were wondering. Anyways, it was probably the second or third day I was in the behavior hospital. I stayed five days. I didn't know how long I was going to stay. They said, you, you might get out in a week. You might get out in two weeks. It might be a month. I don't know. But I remember on the second day, all I had was my Bible and a book by A.W. Tozer. In God's sovereignty, I was reading 2 Corinthians. And if you know anything about 2 Corinthians, it's a letter on Paul's suffering as a minister of the gospel. And he's showing how God uses weak and frail people for his mission, his purposes, and his glory ultimately. So I just want to read the passages that I read that day as God began to show me why he had given me these things and these experiences as a Christian. So 2 Corinthians 4, starting at verse 7, just hit me like a freight train that day. Paul says, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side but not crushed perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. This was me. I was a jar of clay. I was hard pressed on every side. I was perplexed, I was persecuted, I was struck down, I felt oppressed by the enemy and by my depression. But this is God's Word. He says, we have this treasure. What is the treasure? That treasure is the gospel, the hope of the gospel, that God is reconciling all things to himself through Christ, and that even though we live in this earthly body and in this fallen world, we long and groan for our heavenly dwelling, He gave us this treasure, this gospel in jars of clay. What's that? That's us, weakness, the weak bodies we have. We are jars of clay. And why? Verse 7 says, to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. So what's the implication here? For me, that day, it was that God had given me depression. God had given me this weakness So that his surpassing power would be shown through me, not that I could get any of the glory, but that he would get all the glory. For Paul, this was weakness in his ministry. He had a thorn in the flesh is what he calls it later in chapter 12. He had been beaten. He had been mocked. He had been shipwrecked, all for Jesus, and he was weak. So what is the good news here is that God is powerful in our weakness. That God's grace shines all the more brighter when he uses weak vessels for his glory. Yes, it is hard in the moment, but look at what verse 8 says. It says, we're hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. We're perplexed, we're confused, but we're not in despair. Because we have hope. We have hope in the name of Jesus. We relate our sufferings to the sufferings of Jesus because we know that we are sharing in the sufferings of Christ and being conformed into his image. That truth hit me that day. As I was lying in that bed in the behavior hospital, I was thinking, God, what if you have given me this depression just because you want your power to shine brighter? What if God has given you your weakness, your ailment, your condition, you name it, fill in the blank, so that He will show his power and his grace through you, that his grace will be sufficient for you. As I continued reading, the tears just started flowing as I was realizing this truth. I kept reading in verse 16. Therefore, in light of all this, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. The Holy Spirit was just flinging these truths into my face over and over and over again. We don't lose heart. Why? Because this world is temporary. This suffering is temporary. The good news of the gospel is that we will dwell with God, the Father, Son, and Spirit for eternity. That God is preparing for us an eternal glory that far outweighs all the light and momentary troubles that we are facing. So what's the application? Verse 18, fix your eyes not on what is seen. In that moment, all I could see was my depression. All I could see was this dark valley that I was in. But God was telling me to fix my eyes on hope that was not seen, the hope that is found in the gospel. The fact that Jesus is with me, even if I can't feel it, and that he is preparing for me a place where there will be no more tears, no more pain. And that what if God is using my weakness, my frail jar of clay, to show his all-surpassing power and grace in my life? Would I be content if God chooses to give me depression for the rest of my life? That was the question that I asked that day. And as I came to verse 7 of chapter 5, my answer in humble submission was yes. This is what Paul says, just very succinctly. For we live by faith and not by sight. I call this through the valley because when you're walking through the valley, you can't see what's ahead. It's dark, you don't know when the valley's gonna end. But in my hiking trips as a scout, I, I learned that though the valleys seem endless, You're always going somewhere. That as you start going up, you climb the mountain and it's hard, but when you get on top of that mountain, you can see everything so clearly. As you look out upon the divots and the valleys that you did travel, you see, okay, that's the path I took. And that's what God is doing with us. That yes, we live in a fallen world, a very broken and fallen world. Our minds are broken. Our bodies are broken. We've been corrupted and stained by sin and we long to fill our lives and our satisfaction in other sin-ridden things that won't fulfill. No wonder we get depressed. No wonder we get anxious, because we're looking for our hope and our security in what is seen, and not on what is unseen. But our hope, the hope of the gospel, the hope of the Christian faith, is in what is unseen, that Jesus has come, Emmanuel, God with us, He lived in the sin-ridden world. He lived a perfect life. He died the death that we deserve so that we could be reunited with God the Father. Not only that, but he rose again. He defeated sin and death, the very things that corrupt our bodies. And he went back to the Father, and we are waiting for his return. And what happens when he returns? He's going to come back and make all things new. He's going to bring us into an eternal kingdom where Revelation says there will be no more tears, no more weeping, for he himself will be our light. For we live by faith and not by sight. Those truths hit me that day and it took God to bring me into the deepest, darkest valley of my life to understand that. After that, it wasn't easy. I was still depressed. I was still fighting and feeling these emotions and mood swings. But God had... Given me a newfound perspective on why I was going through these things. So when I got home, I just began to pour out my heart uh, through music as I was learning guitar at that time. And I wrote and penned a song called Through the Valley, which is very dear to me as a song, uh, which I'm just now getting around to producing. But the chorus goes, But I know that my God is for me, and I know that his promises are true. In the dark, he'll always be beside me. When I fall, he'll carry me through through the valley. That song is my expression of faith and hope. It's knowing that God is still for me in my depression. It's knowing that his promises, his very great and precious promises are still true, even in the darkest seasons of life, and that one day he will lead me through the valley and to the mountain where We will be with him forever in the new heavens and the new earth. So that kind of capitulates the year 2014 when I first began to experience depression in my life. Obviously, there's more to the story, and that will come as I share more through this podcast. But I just want to leave with that, that sometimes God takes us through the darkest valleys to show us that It's only his power, it's only his grace that sustains us. But then also on the flip side, that he's leading us through these valleys, ultimately to eternal rest and security with him. And that has to be our hope. If you don't know that hope, if you do not know Jesus Christ as your lasting savior and as your great faithful friend and companion to you in these dark seasons, what is stopping you from giving your life to him? What else is going to give you lasting comfort in your dark seasons of depression if it's not Jesus Christ? Everything else fades. He doesn't. He's always with you. And even if you're feeling weak in your faith today, it doesn't matter how small your faith is. All that matters is who your faith is in. If Jesus is your Savior and if He has saved you, He knows what He's doing. What if your depression... Your condition is all that God would show you to depend upon Him and to teach you more about what it means to live by faith and not by sight. So that wraps up our very first episode of Through the Valley. Just want to say a big thank you for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, please leave a comment, leave a review, suggestions for episodes to do or topics to talk about. And if you have a friend, that you know may be struggling with these things, please share this with them if you think it would be encouraging for them. You won't want to miss episode two next Thursday. It's going to be called A Biblical Worldview for Suffering Souls. So we're going to unpack a lot there, how as Christians we should deal with suffering in life. And also I am writing a book called Through the Valley. So I'll keep you updated on the progress of that. Right now I'm about at 60,000 words. So aiming for 100,000. I'll keep you in the loop for that. Again, thank you so much for tuning in. Let's journey together as we live by faith, not by sight, as we walk through this valley to the mountain. Thank you so much.